And now it's time for Eastcast and reports from coastal stations. East at Sierra, West at Sierra, Southwest at Sierra, and North Northeast at Sierra. Wind southwest, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist. Or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, now, now. Hello, welcome back to Eastcast here on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Eastcast is a monthly delve into the arts, the culture and the community bubbling away in East London, but always resonating way beyond. So wherever you're listening, good to have you with us. I'm Jessie Lawson, and I'm here with new Eastcaster, Katie Callan. Hello. And Pearl Wise. Hello, good to be here. And this is my final Eastcast as I pass on Boo. the baton <laughs> to Jessie and Katie. You are, you are in safe hands, I can assure <laughs> you of that. Um, Amy Adele can't be with us to play live, so I've selected some highlights from the live sessions that we've had over 2018. Robin Lieburn, who first shared some audio at our last East Cast Away event, brings us the story of the Luminary Bakery on Ridley Road. And I'll be sharing the story of a night worker cable jointer, Paul. Uh, we'll be talking to Anik Metafia from Toynbee Hall about housing forum in a little bit and sharing some music from our archive. But first we have John Newman from Newman Books here in the studio. Hello, John. Hi, John. Hi. How are you? Very well, thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for coming in. Uh, for someone who's not heard of Newham Books, what is it? Well, Newham Bookshop is um, a bookshop that's existed in the community for 40 years. It was started by a group of parents as an education charity. The bookshop was seen as a non-stigmatising way of bringing people into the organisation to get literacy um, and numeracy classes. Um, the drive was to actually uh, address what was seen as social inequality in our part of East London, in Newham. Uh, it was felt that children were not, were not being given the best opportunity and um, it was a try- an attempt to address the balance. And so the bookshop's gone from strength to strength as the education side of it's gone. We're still a non-for-profit. We're still all about inclusivity and about customer service. Uh, we work locally with libraries and schools and other organisations. Uh, I like to see us as guerrilla booksellers who find our way all <laughs> over London. So, yeah, East London resonating out across the capital. Uh, we've got lots of uh, different uh, relationships with 5 by 15 the Humanist Society. Uh, it goes on and on. Um, uh, Conway Hall is one of the uh, places we do events and I've got to speak up uh, loudly for the Wants to Tap uh, who you should get on, you should get Dan on here he's based <laughs> over in Forest Gate does all sorts of events, music, uh, comedy uh, great space, great beer anyway, that's about Dan <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we're uh, a few months ago we found out that our landlord was planning to do things to the uh, adult shop um, which would reduce our floor space by about a third and thanks to a very responsive council and the endeavours of our managers, our volunteer managers, uh, we've managed to negotiate a really good contract for another space two doors down, which we originally um, occupied when the charity existed. And it was for some time a connections office. So it lay in there empty and now is uh, again going to be a, a bookshop. Uh, for the first time going to be a bookshop. Uh, and we're in the process of crowdfunding and putting that into, into place. Mm-hmm. So you started the Two Doors Down campaign? We started the Two Doors Down campaign, which is great. Um, it wasn't my idea. Uh, it was the <laughs> manager's again. Um, and the idea was, you know, we've been offered this really good contract, which, which would see us through for, for some time, uh, very competitive rent. And, um, but, but we weren't given any funding for actually putting the shop together. So it was a shell. It needed flooring, lighting and everything. So we just thought, you know, let's, let's crowdfund. And uh, we've had fantastic support from the publishing industry, from uh, the local community, our customers. We've had local tradesmen coming in, giving us really competitive offers uh, and support. And, uh, and it's coming together. It's coming together. And you're doing some auctions as well. We've done auctions, yeah, we have. Uh, we've got some Doreen Fletcher prints coming up for auction soon. Doreen's got an exhibition down at Bone Nunnery Gallery. Uh, I, I've actually purchased a print myself, which I'm really, really chuffed <laughs> Very about. Very nice. It details part of my journey home past Wanstead Park Station. Um, 
so yeah, uh, we've got some Neil Gaiman's uh, sign books. Oh, wow. There's loads of things happening, um, and um, we have a crowdfunding program if, that you can you can find if you go on our website. What does it mean to be able to move to move two doors down? I think what. what more importantly, I think it's, it's the fact we're surviving. I think that's the big thing. That we've got the children's shop um, already, which is uh, you know one of the few um, standalone children's shops. But the adult shop was a big space. It was a, it, full of books. But to actually be able to, to move into a space, it, it's kind of like starting again in a way. It's a, re- it's a kind of revitalised us all in a way that I, I didn't expect. Because when you're looking for a challenge of moving thousands of books from one space to another, even though it's only two doors down, it's really daunting. But, but yeah, we've had our customers have come in and just really given loads of time uh, and, and been really, really supportive. We had someone um, come in yesterday and spent the whole time um, reorganising the, the crime section, just <laughs> humping books from one shop to the other and putting them in alphabetical order on the shelves. And I've got, I got to give a big thank you to Charlie, our carpenter, who's just saved us a fortune by helping to move the existing shelves into that new space and fit them to the size of the walls. That's amazing. Yeah. Big and up Charlie. Yeah, big up Charlie. And you've got um quite a big local history section as well. Yeah, I mean, um we've we've always had that kind of connection to the community and, and it's been something we've been known for. We had a fantastic uh, relationship with Gildra O'Neill, the oral historian and writer, uh, who sadly passed away a few years ago. John, her husband, John O'Neill, is, is actively involved in supporting us. And uh, we're going to name the, um, the uh, local history section the Gildra O'Neill section, so... Yeah, I think it's, it's. I mean, London is so vibrant, and to detail that history through, you know, sourcing as many and varied books as we can has always been a great joy. Absolutely. And how has Newham changed? How much, so you've been open for about forty years, is it? Newham hasn't changed that much, I don't think. In fact, if anything, it's becoming more gentrified. Dare I say it? <laughs> you know, the housing prices are going up. Um, we've always had quite well since the seventies. We've had quite a big South Asian population. We've also got African Caribbean population, and uh, we've got small Filipino population around the corner, Eastern European. It's always been beautifully diverse, and um, that's been one of the, re- the great parts of actually being employed in that area and having that having the business there. Because we always knew the way the population was changing by the dictionaries we sold. <laughs> and the multicultural books that we sold uh, and still get a, a demand for in terms of people kind of keeping in touch with their cultural heritage. And yeah. you run regular events throughout the year as well, right? Yeah, lots of events, yeah, all over the place, yeah. We're doing something with Michael Rosen at the Old Vic on Saturday. He's reading poetry, so we'll be there selling books. We've got Doreen Fletcher's doing an event for us at the Wanted Tap next week where we'll be showing slides with a gentle author, uh, looking at her paintings and drawings of the East End, which, which are fantastic because they display images of a disappearing East End. And please, if you can get a chance, get to Bow Nunnery Gallery. It's fantastic. Brilliant. And, I mean, this is a big one, but, like, mm-hmm. why would you... Uh, what's your sort of pitch if people don't come to Newham Books, but why should they support you? Why should they help keep a local bookshop well, open? I, I'm all, I think it's about community. I think it's about kind of having... We always see ourselves as a community hub where people come in and share. And we did an event with Benjamin Zephaniah... Um, last week and we reminded him that he reminded us I think that that's where he actually turned down his OBE um, it was in, in the, the well, kind of just after, but he he announced it on on uh, to Channel Four News in the shop <laughs> at seven o'clock on an evening when he was doing some performing in the shop. So that that kind of gives you a sense of you know we feel really privileged to be part of a of a, of a vibrant community. Um, I don't think people should buy their books on f- from companies online that don't pay taxes. Uh, you know we pay we pay our taxes. Small businesses are doing all we can to kind of get by, and we employ local people. Um, we support local schools and um, we give discounts to schools and other organisations. So, you know, yeah, uh, uh, the local estate agent says that we, we provide cultural capital, <laughs> which I think is a, you know... That's a tagline. Why wouldn't you want to move somewhere where there's a vibrant bookshop and other vibrant community activities going on? Apple Cut Arts are down the road and you should get them in, they're great. You know. <laughs> Noted. Um what can people do? Where do they have to go to support you? Um, you well, on our website, we have a crowdfunding... This is, this is the bit I kind of find to figure. <laughs> www.crowdfunder.com. 
www.ac.gov.uk slash two hyphen doors hyphen down. But if you go to our website, you'll find information about what you get rewarded for for that crowdfunding. We've got everything from tote bags to free books to discounts off books, discounts off events. Uh, you can have a shelf named after you. Um, if you pay uh, 500 quid, I mean, it's a lot of money. But, and there's other things in, wrapped up in that package as well. But please have a look. And um, But most of all, come and see us. Come down and see us. Come down and say hello. Come down and see the new shop. Um, You'll be most welcome. What's your favourite book? Oh, that's a really, really hard question. But I, I kind of... Oh, hundreds. But the, the one book I've read three times is Fugitive Pieces by Anne Michaels. And I don't know what it is about the book, but I go back to it. I just love it. But I'm also a big John Berger fan, so To the Wedding is also a favourite book. And uh, The Book Thief. I've just read um, oh, yeah. um, uh, The Bridge of Clay, his new book, Suzak's new book. Fantastic. But I'm always reading. I read a lot, read a lot of children's books and, yeah, yeah adult books, novels. Yeah. It Thanks. goes on and on. Thanks so much for coming in, John. That's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we'll pop that on the, um, the Twitter as well, the link to your campaign. Yeah, yes. thanks. Yeah. Thanks, John. And I think it's interesting that bookshops and record shops have survived despite all the predictions and mm. they're providing something really different that, you know, we forgot that we actually want mm. and need. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's all about Keep those conversations. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, now it's time for um, a live session from the 2018 Vaults. Uh, this is the female trio Caroline's Fingers who played in uh, played live in the studio in July with a track called Vapor. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Next, Robin Lee Byrne from Fairly Media gives us the story of the Luminary Bakery. I'm Robin Lieber, and as a freelance reporter, pacing round London, poking a microphone about here and there, I do get hungry. And I do love a bit of carbo-loading. Bread, pastries, the odd cake, I can't resist. And judging by the Instagrams, the popularity of Great British Bake Off, I'm far from alone in an appreciation of baked goods. Now, if I'm working in East London... I know I'm in for a treat. Patties in cocoa bread at a Caribbean place. Hand-rolled Turkish gozleme. Those incredible tahini buns next to Actonese on Stoke Newington High Street. Well, there's always a Percy Ingle round the corner somewhere. But one of my favourite haunts is tucked away on Allen Road in Stoke Newington. The Luminary Bakery. There you'll find warming, homemade Irish soda bread, tempting tray bakes and stunningly beautiful decorated layer cakes. And it's not just the glutinous goodness that they've got going. Luminary Bakery is a social enterprise empowering East London's disadvantaged women. Founder Alice Williams launched Luminary, offering courses to women in shelters in the area, living in social and economic hardship, many of them suffering homelessness, abuse... Through incredibly successful professional training courses, Luminary has helped people lift themselves out of poverty while it's brought a true community spirit in its cafe space. There's just something about the art of baking which works so well in this respect. The togetherness of the baking courses, the process of handcrafting beautiful products, start to finish forging confidence and friendship along the way. I spoke to Alice earlier this year while recording a documentary on London's bread networks for the Curb Life podcast from London street food group Curb. Due to privacy and anonymity, I wasn't able to record the testimonies of uh, colleagues, the women on Luminary's courses, but some were kind enough to send their thoughts via email. One wrote... After leaving an abusive relationship, I was really isolated and had no idea how to get out of that. This course has given me hope for the future. I have new skills and confidence to use them. My favourite thing about Luminary is that you're always welcome. Another said, Luminary gave me confidence. I never thought that would happen. People listen to me. I've met some lifelong friends. I don't feel useless anymore. That says it all. It's incredibly powerful what's being achieved at Luminary. So let's hear their story from their founder for my interview this summer. I'm Alice Williams, founder of Luminary Bakery. So Alice, it's a wonderful scene here. We're um, sitting sourdough piled up behind us from the Dusty Knuckle Bakery. There's all of the delicious cakes and tray bakes that you guys have been working on through the morning. And... Could you tell us a little bit, and of course the ubiquitous coffee machines in full swing, uh, could you tell us a little bit about this project, how this cafe came about, and it's a pretty special thing you've got going here. Thanks, yeah, we started um, Luminary in response to a need we saw locally in East London for women who'd been disadvantaged, basically, so women who were homeless, um, experiencing sexual abuse, so selling sex, um, getting involved in crime, living in poverty, um, and and often being uh, victims of domestic violence, because there's much more risk of that when you're living in poverty um, and abuse, and uh, we just really wanted to do something um, to bring some of these women together um, equip them with ways of becoming financially independent um, so not being reliant on anybody else not being in poverty anymore having an opportunity for a future um, and me and a couple of uh, brilliant bakers I have to confess that I'm not a baker myself right okay oh, so, so what's your what's your background then if you're um, if you're not coming from the bakery side uh, more, yeah more like community development so I trained in youth and community work um, and I've always had a passion for people um, particularly disadvantaged groups so um, I've had a little bit of experience in Thailand working with um, disadvantaged women there um, so obviously that need is all over the world 
unfortunately. So where did you identify the baking, the flour, water, eggs, yeast, bread? would be the vehicle that you needed to achieve the kind of changes that you wanted to make? It was actually mostly a business decision, to be honest, that um, we were part of a cafe um, that was selling a lot of baked goods on Brick Lane called Kahila. Kahila um, is a charity and looking to serve the community in whatever ways possible. So we knew that we were buying in bread and cakes from all over London um, to stock our cafe. So we thought, let's try and bring that in-house a little bit. And then we had these passionate bakers who really wanted to try and start something themselves. So we initially just did some uh, baking workshops in a local women's homeless hostel um, to see if the women enjoyed the process of baking and to see if we were any good at it. Um, and luckily that went really well and the women loved it and word spread around the hostel that um, there was this really fun workshop that you could do um, and lots of demand. Uh, so we were able to kind of develop it into a more structured uh, programme where we were building on baking skills each week. Um, and so we didn't really consider initially the therapeutic benefits, really. We just right. thought it made sense business-wise and it was something that we had the skills to do um, and the women were enjoying it. Um, but I think as we've seen more and more experiences of it being a therapeutic activity and getting to know women that um, really being in the kitchen and baking is their happy place, uh, women that have experienced a lot of trauma um, often say that baking is like a therapy for them and um, when they're going through really hard times they're able to get in the kitchen, distract themselves from that um, and be quite mindful in, um, in the process of baking and then having the opportunity to be creative um, is amazing and seeing the results of what they've laboured over um, and bread is particularly brilliant for that because you uh, put a lot of work in it doesn't look anything like what it will look like once it comes out of the oven um, and that's quite amazing then for them to see uh, a really beautiful life that they've created. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the transformative process is clear and uh, it's a wonderful thing to be part of. And, and in terms of what you've done, I mean, you say it's a business decision, the, uh, the results for you guys have been pretty staggering, right? If you're a university, you'd be getting a lot of applications. There's something like nine in ten of your graduates are going into work now. Yeah, it's 88%, so yeah, close to that. Um, and I think, uh, to be honest, the women have got a lot of talent and uh, all they need is an opportunity. So we're just give, bridging that gap a little bit. Um, obviously, we do provide quite a lot of support, but really they're the, they're the ones that get themselves the jobs. You'd be able to find some of the gang with cafes around East London now, right? Yeah, we've got a really good little network now of um, businesses when they're hiring. They come to us and say, have you got somebody? Um, either because we've been able to successfully place someone there and they've um, really impressed um, or because they really believe in what we're doing and they want to have that kind of hiring policy. And in the, in the course of learning also, you are a business, so... Can you describe a little bit about the course and yeah. uh, how that ties in with your business? Yeah, definitely. So we separate the two. The training programme um, runs quite independently from the business. So we've kind of got upstairs and downstairs. Upstairs is the business, um, and that's where all the baking for wholesale is done. And downstairs is our more kind of quiet um, training area um, where women can come and make themselves at home down there. Um, and then once they feel um, ready, they can start doing work experience within their right, wholesale okay, business. Yeah. So anything they bake down downstairs they take home with them and they get to try it and share it with friends and family um, and that side of things we get funding for uh, whereas the business obviously everything that we make gets sold and that covers the business costs um, so we're not for profit we're a charity um, and that means that any sales that we make any profit that we make helps to support the work that we do and when you when you talk about baking as a safe space for the people that you've encountered and and, and given the opportunity to take part in your courses is there something about this industry, this process, that is more than just the result of what comes out of the oven, do you feel? Definitely. Um, I think it's hard to put your finger on the um, transformative uh, nature, as you mentioned, of, of baking and the process of being in the kitchen with people. Um, kitchens can sometimes be stressful environments, but um, they also really bring people together and you can have amazing conversations with people as you're concentrating on yeah. um, what you're doing. And um, 
we've definitely seen like women who've previously been isolated being brought together in this environment. And I also love um, that we work with women who have got really low incomes, but then in our cafe we've got people who've got the money to spend in a cafe, and it brings those two worlds together. Um, so I think it really is a community space, and a lot of the women call this their home. Um, so I think there's more going on here that you can't quite put your finger on. It's not just uh, getting people into work, it's not just creating beautiful baked goods, but it is building community. And that sounds a bit um, spacey, but it really is. You can feel it. If that's wet your appetite, then you can visit Luminaries Cafe at 7173 Allen Road, N16 8RY. And you can find out more at luminarybakery.com where you'll find their incredible wholesale and wedding offerings. And make sure you follow their beautiful stomach-rumbling Insta posts at Luminary Bakery. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Eastcast on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Don't forget you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at Eastcast Show. And you can listen again to our interviews and music online on iTunes or Spotify, Eastcast Show London, and at eastcastshow.com. Uh, now we're joined in the studio by social action innovator Anik Matefia from Toynbee Hall. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. It's cold, but it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, for someone who hasn't heard of Toynbee Hall, could you just tell us a little bit about what it is? Yes. Um, so Toynbee Hall is a charity. Um, um, it works on poverty and trying to tackle poverty in East London, um, mainly. It was created in 1884, yeah. so it goes back a lot. Um, and people usually know it for um, the Free Legal Advice Centre um, that's been open since um, the 19th century. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Has it changed much since the 19th century? Yeah, well, interestingly, like things, a lot of things have changed, but the main issues that you um, can see in East London are kind of the same. Um, housing issues, like extreme poverty, um, access to rights, access to justice, access to education. So interestingly, um, some of the issues that were there back then and that people were trying to fight back then are kind of still around. So, yeah, definitely um, the work that Twin Hall is, is doing is very needed. Yeah, I imagine more and more so, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the area, the all-gay kind of Whitechapel area, um, is definitely under pressure um, from, like, um, a lot of different points and um, it's, it's still a, a pretty, like, poor area. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's an important um, important work that they're doing. And so you are, I want to get it right, yeah, you're the social action innovator at Toynbee Hall through the residential volunteering programme. Exactly, <laughs> a lot of words. So, <laughs> so what's the residential volunteering programme, first of all? Um, so it's actually kind of going back to um, the roots and um, the um, tradition, um, the idea um, of Toynbee Hall because Toynbee Hall was created to have um, volunteers coming to live in the community um, and um, trying to create innovative projects within the community in East London um, and so they did that from 1884 and then they had to stop for a little bit during um, the refurbishment and then uh, they just restarted the programme this year so I'm one of the lucky volunteers who gets to live there Wow! Um, I live in the, in this big kind of manor um, in East London uh, under the roof in a really nice flat um, with a resident artist a resident storyteller and a resident researcher How do I get to the there? <laughs> <laughs> I might apply soon And so what's a social action innovator? Um, so it's an interesting position where basically I'm part of the heritage team. Um, so Toynbee Hall has this very rich history um, with a lot of people who were part of this volunteering programme, like um, William Beveridge, Clement Attlee, etc. Um, and so it's basically making all this history relevant to um, the local community and to um, the issues that um, it's um, facing today. Um, it's connecting people with that archive and also just addressing um, these issues in innovative ways. Um, so I've been organising events um, about maybe once a month 
um, on different topics and that have to do with what Tournery Hall does, access to justice, access to right. Um, so, for example, I organise a black history workshop on um, Somali presence and heritage with Numbi Arts, which is a nice. great organisation in East London. Um, and I'm organising a, ho- a housing forum this weekend. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's on Saturday and it's called Our Homes and Communities. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so the the idea came to me originally. I was um, at the Wellbeing Centre, which is one of the services that Tornby Hall provides. Um, the Wellbeing Centre has a lot of um, elders coming um, to like workshops and activities there. I was talking to two older ladies, and they were telling me how they were um, under pressure from um, like kind of invasive landlords, and they had housing issues. Um, but the council wasn't necessarily being very supportive or available for them. So I wanted to basically connect individuals with um, campaigning groups like grassroots citizen-led movements that um, campaign on housing, affordable housing, um, against the privatisation of social housing, um, etc. Um, and so we have uh, this Saturday coming for like a great discussion. Um, Defend Council Housing, we have London Renters Union, um, Rainbow Collective, who um, they are um, a documentary making collective who help all these groups kind of document what they do um, and we have Tower Blocks UK who work on safety in Tower Blocks like whether it's fire heating um, etc Amazing and what's a forum so it's, is it are they all having a discussion or is it people asking questions like how's it going to work on the day? So my idea is um, it's open to all it's accessible anyone with a housing issue or just who's interesting in, interested in the issue and wants to kind of start organising around that can come and meet them everyone's going to have stalls with information and documentation and then we're going to go into a panel discussion um, and once again it's like ask all your questions and I want people leaving the event with the feeling that if they wanted to start organising in their community and start resisting the housing crisis, they would know where to start and who to turn to. Do you think that housing education is one of the things that we're really lacking? Like, I feel like I know nothing about housing, my housing rights. Oh, I'm definitely, I'm not an expert either. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Plus, I'm coming from another country where some of the issues are the same, like with gentrification, etc. But I'm educating myself as I go but that's the whole idea with this volunteering as well is that I get to know the local community um, even though I lived in Bromley by Bow before which is not that far Um, but I get to know like the issues that people are facing and um, and yeah so it's like kind of all like educating each other and making everything accessible and that yeah. (laughs) How do you think the housing crisis is affecting like Tower Hamlet specifically? Um, I think Tower Hamlets is hit pretty hard with gentrification and with less and less affordable housing. Um, and you also have, like, for example, people talk a lot about um, Elephant and Castle, um, which is very important. And we have people from Up the Elephant coming Saturday to talk about it. But you have kind of the same issue with... Um, uh, Chris Street Market in Poplar, etc. So you have all these areas in Tower Hamlets that are kind of um, threatened by um, that pressure. And you also, like a couple of months ago, I saw a couple of articles like about how trendy it was to come and live in East <laughs> London and in Poplar and kind of ignoring <laughs> the fact that you have neighbourhoods with like um, incredible rates of childhood poverty and um, and yeah, it is a very poor um, area and um, also the culture of the people there, the culture of East London, is the, the culture of the different um, communities there are often kind of ignored and it's just about like kind of fixing this area um, like there's something wrong with um, with that, so yeah, so I think it's a very interesting area to be working in Yeah, for sure um, and you do lots of other stuff outside of your organising for Tom Hall. Could you tell us a little bit about that as well? Yeah, so I work for um, a charity called Kinfolk Network, um, or Kin, um, which is, I'm really proud of it. I really, I'm really happy to be um, part of it. Um, we're trying to connect all um, like black activists and black activism groups in the UK and get them to kind of work together and form a network. Um, so we had our first um, conference back in August at the Black Cultural Archives. So we nice. had like black activists from Scotland and Wales and England all together, which is which was pretty unique. And we're still like working on that and hopefully um, create, creating a second 
Um, and I'm also an active supporter of the United Friends and Families campaign. Um, they fight, um, they're against death in custody. Um, and it's a very, very important fight to me. And so I try to actively support them um, and spread the word about their rally and their conference every year, etc. I'm part of black, uh, black feminist groups in France, where I'm from, um, and trying to create connections between all these countries and spaces, yeah. So a lot of the stuff you do is about, like, bringing people together I guess like building connections between different activist groups yeah because I guess um, I work from an intersectional perspective so I try to work on issues that have to do with race with class with gender um, with ableism etc like all at the same time um, but obviously kind of giving the attention that each of these things deserve um, but then kind of bringing it all together um, for a structural kind of approach um, to really make a change, yeah. Uh, so if people want to get involved with any of the stuff you're doing, <laughs> or maybe with your top two things, what would you... So what about... How do they get involved on Saturday, first of all? Um, on Saturday, well, come along, definitely. Um, join us for the discussion. It is open to families. We have a kids' corner, because I don't want childcare to be an obstacle to anyone attending events in general. So bring your kids, bring your friends and families to the event, um, share it on social media, and um, follow Toynbee Hall and follow all these um, organisations that are joining us um, on Saturday. Um, you can follow Kin, um, yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll be sharing the Facebook event for that as well um, and then also just what's your social media if people want to get involved with you or what you're doing uh, I'm very I'm actually very kind of quiet on social media <laughs> uh, I don't really have like a public profile because I'm always trying to work from a community perspective or a group perspective and not really well you know it's also because I really admire like some activists and I'm just not there yet where I have my own <laughs> blog on my own I'm you know trying to do things but you're getting yeah. there building the way up okay cool well everyone follow Toynbee Hall thank you so much thank for you thanks Anik I think also what's really interesting about Tower Hamlets is that you've got Canary Wolf in within uh, Tower Hamlets so you've got such a kind of contrast between banks and extreme poverty and I think people always comment on that you know this kind of canary wolf tsunami sort of coming towards them it's always very interesting so here's another live session from uh, the past year on East Cast uh, we had guitarist extraordinaire John Fairley on the show last January here's his foot stomping I'm gonna see my baby Yeah. 
Next up, I'm sharing a story that I previewed a couple East Coasts ago. It's a broadcast originally made for the Museum of London's late event, the London Night Council. I'll let Paul explain the rest himself. ready to depart. Welcome to the night bus. Uh, hi, it's uh, five o'clock in the morning. I've just finished work and on my way home. I will be stopping for some breakfast, uh, probably at McDonald's Porridge. Yeah, my name is Paul Hildebrand uh, and I'm a cable jointer which is basically a big cable connected together. In a lot of trendy bars now, there are tables made out of what would look like giant cotton reels. Our cables are round around those, so we have to pull them off the cotton reel and install them into a ceiling. Um, so you would pull it off, lift it up, and we will be either sitting or in the area of with a long rope that we pull the cables through the trays, through the ceilings, even up the tops of 20, 30 floors, or underground, or rooftops, um, that sort of thing. Hot and sweaty, I would say, would be the best description of our work. It's usually in the high ceilings, so as you know, heat, heat rises, and that's where we are. Our cables have to be hidden from the general public and secured so they can't fall down. So as our work progresses, we will secure the cables once they're installed. My job then progresses on to connect the cables into the mains cable panels, um, which will contain all the switches. So anything from the air conditioning to mechanical plant rooms um, to mains cable cable panels... Um, and a roundup of the evening would be to get it all written down. We don't actually use iPads because most people my age aren't used to them. So most of my work's done by hand and handed into the office once a week just to give a general idea of how much we've installed because we get paid by the metre of uh, cable installed. Night work tends to, um, when you first start it, uh, it's hard work. So you need to train yourself during the day to sleep more until such times as you grow into it. Once you've grown into it, you tend to need less sleep than you do um, when you work on days. So an average day for me would be to get home at night. My night would be morning. would be getting home around 6.30 uh, having washed and changed and always have a cup of tea before I go to bed and get up around about half 10 to 11 o'clock depending on the physicality of the night if it's really been a hard night then then you probably need a little bit more but on average you tend to sleep that little bit less so you can enjoy more during the day a lot of guys like it because their wives don't work and the kids are off school so they get to see more of their family working nights than they actually do days. And the money for them is better during the week, so they can actually take the weekends off to enjoy family life. So a lot of people do like it. Um, your brain tends to adapt and wake up at night. So as soon as your challenge comes, each night is a separate challenge. So as soon as the challenge is there... Your brain wakes up, you're alert, and you're trying to sort things, organise things, and you're just no different to days. I suppose there's more of a rush during the night because you've got less hours to get things done. Um, so I think you buzz more during the night than you would the day. One of the more difficult things that's come into our industry, shall we say, is health and safety. 
And whilst I don't disagree with it, I think there's a lot of good things that have come out of it. Hard hats being one of them. Um, steel cap boots, fluorescent vests uh, are all part of it. Unfortunately, it seems to have gone a little bit too far because people are dedicated health and safety officers that are there to make sure you work safe and like to protect their job. So wherever they can, they will increase safety to a, to a point where it becomes unworkable. But don't understand that it's unworkable. So the reason a lot of our work is on nights is that we're kind of hidden from the daytime eyes. So because of most of our work is on ceilings and at high level, uh, you can't always get to it. So we often have to climb out of our little cherry picker pop-ups that get you to get you to within a reasonable height. But you have to actually get physically up on top of the equipment to pull the cable, which would be uh, in a rowing motion. So you would, as if you were on a rowing boat, you would pull the cable along across the tops of your legs. Um, all working together with one call. So our... OK, this is going to be embarrassing, but our call is hey up. So on the up, we all pull the cable together. So it's like a tug of war team. Only you'll be spread out over a long distance. But some of the times you'll come to corners and holes to get through and there won't be access, so it will mean climbing around uh, a lot of the time nowadays we have to have a spotters so we're looking for the f- health and safety man around the corner somebody will stand on the floor and just shout Gary and we'll, we'll all know that Gary's the code sign to get down and be safe um, so yeah we do cut corners a lot of the time nowadays as part of a necessity but again part of the reason we're on nights I always find London fascinating, but fascinating to be there for work. Um, there are obviously touristy sites that are quite good. Um, we worked in um, the Bank of England, which I love the interior of. Um, so whilst I like to visit London and I like to see London, I like to see it from where I see it. Uh, I, there's tops of buildings looking down on it, or from the back ends of the buildings looking through to what the public normally see I don't think I could possibly live in London I find it much too busy and hectic and everybody wants to rush normally just to go to and fro work Um, obviously living in Kent things are a little bit quieter and more sedate yeah there's two sides to the story I do enjoy London I don't think the nightlife is quite for me not at my age now anyway but I don't think it ever was Um, for me travel would have been a big thing getting home from London I did stay up here once at Carnaby Street in a club and it cost me £100 to get a taxi home (laughs) and that was before Uber so that's probably the reason I don't spend the uh, my my private time up London the characters seem to come out at night and not all nasty either most of it all tends to be laughing, joking jolliness and um, some people are offensive but in general I work in Orange uh, as most railway workers and the amount of times you get called Tango Man would be unbelievable but it's jolly and fun and very occasionally I once had three girls come running out the pub sat on the floor with us and started cable pulling with us probably wasn't the best idea in the world but you know what it was fun it wasn't it was safe and they had a bit of fun and it only five minutes so we let it go and it was a laugh and we get all sorts just come up to have a laugh because we're on our tea break and we're obviously standing out in orange clothes so we must be up for a laugh so they come and join us <laughs> so we seem to be a bit of a magnet for odds, oddities shall we say around London but they're all friendly, all fun and it's just part of life just enjoying other people's company or well, some of the places we've been I don't think there's many places we haven't been so 
Right, so some of the famous places will be the Albert Hall. Um, King's Cross Station was one of the recent ones we did, and I've literally just finished London Bridge Station, which was quite interesting at the beginning. Um, we've done Buckingham Palace, we've done Westminster Palace, um, lots of museums around London, um, the Lord Mayor's. It's generally a lot of... Uh, high story office blocks and just recently a hell of a lot of flats we did um, one of the most interesting things I did they took us on a crane put us in a little cradle two man cradle and took us up 60 floors on the outside of the building and lowered us down the inside of the building which actually was not as scary as you might think the building cranes you see on the outside of the buildings actually work so smoothly that you just it's just like as if you was flying really it, was, it is so smooth and so surreal to be that high up and just watching everybody and everybody points at you because they can see you going up in the air so yeah I was quite proud of that and that was in Stratford uh, which is loads and loads of flats going up at the moment London London looks magnificent because of the lights I guess he could, it's not very eco-friendly at, at night but looking down on it from above um, people walking around like that it's so busy and I know it's busy during the daytime but you just see people walking around everywhere obviously slower than they do during work hours I guess because there's nowhere to go fast So, and we like people watching anyway so I do find London very interesting for that because there's so many characters and the diversity around. Even just waiting for this interview, I was about an hour watching people and brings a big smile to my face, actually, just looking at people and all sorts of characters. Quite frankly, I wouldn't want to work anywhere else, really. I do thoroughly enjoy the people and and the buildings, mostly, the historic the history. The history is marvellous in London. It's getting harder to find, but it is there and it can be seen. And instead of looking down at the floor as you're walking along, look up and you'll see so much more, so much to be seen. This bus terminates here. Please take your belongings with you. So it's time for us to say goodbye. <laughs> Uh, Eastcast will be back soon on Resonance 104.4 FM with more sounds and stories from East London and beyond. In the meantime, you can find everything on eastcarshow.com. But and Lucy of is not going to be back. <laughs> so thank you so much for being the best Eastcaster ever. And I'm sure she actually will be back. But I'm sure I'll be lurking in the corridor. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, the thing to say, I think, is season's greetings and happy new year to the end of, you know, beginning of 2019, end of 2018. Lots of exciting <laughs> things, hopefully, for everyone. Um, yeah, so it's going to be six years of Eastcast. Oh, wow, we should have a birthday party. I know. Yeah. It's a lot, a lot of, a lot of shows. Um, we've got a um, very big archive now um so i'll be doing something a little a, a bit different um but inspired by east cast away um so i'll be alternating with east cast every other month with a new show called transmitter where i'll be sharing interesting audio works from around the globe so look out for that in february but east cast will be back in january Yes. Date to be confirmed, I think. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, that's it. So to play us out um, is a track called Sacrosancta by East London-based musician Dan Am. So thanks for listening and join Eastcast again in January. We can't both be right We break things we can't take back I don't want to talk 
We only seem to bruise this blooded rumor. We're talking about rights. So we might not make it back. Don't. Bet all your grace. Please, please, please. Don't. See us when you feel misplaced. When your sacral sanctum will leave with your dying. I don't want to talk. I don't want to lose this self-confessed fever. If, If we, we forsake our life, we might not make it back. Storm, place your last bet. Don't pass the basket. When there's clearly no daily bread, when your sacrosanct leave you with your passing breath, Sacrosanctum.